The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You are listening to Over and Back's Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. Today's mystery is How Big Was the Warriors 1975 Finals Upset? Welcome back to Over and Back. I am Jason. With me as usual is Rich. And we are talking about the Golden State Warriors of 1975 and their uh, surprising finals upset of a 60-win Washington Bullets team uh, in which they swept the series. Quite a remarkable upset. And we wanted to see kind of how it stands with uh, some of the other uh, great upsets in uh, NBA Finals history. I know we talked about this a little bit already in um, our episode when we talked about the uh, the, the Cavs uh, beating the... The, um, the Warriors in the finals and kind of where that game seven rated, but we wanted to kind of get even more deeper in the subject because I think it's interesting to talk about. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting Warriors team because talent-wise, you look at it and go, oh, that's a pretty good team, but, you know, they, they weren't a great regular season team. They were, they were still very good. I mean, it wasn't just a complete bum team that was doing this, but uh, their 2.86 SRS rating is the 370th best SRS ever, which uh, is pretty shocking uh, for a championship team. We'll get a few uh, later. We'll talk about that. Maybe are a little bit lower, but this is a pretty low in the all-time. I mean, we're talking 370th best all-time of, of any SRS, so we're, we're talking pretty low there. Uh, the team was first in the NBA in points per game, second in offensive rating. Uh, they were fifth in defensive rating, uh, but they, pl- uh, they played a little bit below their expected win-loss uh, percentage. Uh, they were expected to win 50 uh, games, and of course, they, they did not hit that uh, mark. Um, even you know, even in that season, even in the context of that NBA season, uh, their SRS was only the fourth best in the league. In their own conference, uh, the Bulls at 2.88 were slightly above them, and of course, they were able to upset the Bulls. But yeah, you look at that. Even in the context of their own season, that's a team that that, that is certainly not seen as, as one of the top teams via that metric or or, or whatever. And we've seen, uh, you know, obviously, it, you know, SRS is a pretty good stat. We've talked about it many times on this. Which you go to BasketballReference.com uh, if you kind of need an idea of what it is and it's a simple rating system. But you can kind of understand that a lot. Of times when the best team you know a lot of the best teams have though it's very much that way and this team is you know fourth in the league you know 370th all time it's not it's not a great team um but they did it. They, they, you know, they defeated uh, the Bullets, who uh, the Bullets that year had a 6.53 uh, SRS, just for reference. So that's a difference of uh, 3.67 uh, between their two SRSs. Uh, Rick Barry, as uh, <laughs> in a very Rick Barry quote, uh, he says, it has to be the greatest upset in the history of the NBA Finals, but few people paid any attention to it. Sports Illustrated didn't even do a cover story on us. They hadn't expected us to win. It was a fairy tale season. Everything just fell into place. It's something I'll treasure for the rest of my life. So uh, Rick Barry did not think they got enough credit. Um, which I, I know shocking that that he would say that. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting is that the Warriors, their run, it came kind of as a, a surprise to everybody, including uh, the Oakland Coliseum, uh, where Golden State played their games. Uh, 
they really didn't think that they were going to do that. They booked they booked an Ice Follies event uh, performance that, uh, you know, the the arena executives weren't willing to move. They kind of said, no, we, we booked the Ice Follies. We're going to do that. Uh, so the Warriors and the Bolts had to kind of figure out what to do. Their backup venue, the Cow Palace, uh, was already booked for a karate tournament, the ever-important karate tournament. Uh, that was during Game 4. So, again, the NBA was just in a hell of a pickle. Uh, they ended up giving Washington two options. You could play uh, Game 1 on the road and then play Games 2 and 4 at home, or you can play again game one at home and then play two games in Oakland, then return home for game four. Uh, the Bolts chose the latter and coach uh, Boston Celtics great Casey Jones told Sports Illustrated later that uh, three straight, you know, at home sounded good, but I didn't want them to win that first game. So uh, did not end up working all that well uh, for the Bolts, of course. And then just really quickly where it stands among, you know, kind of other famous uh, NBA final upsets that kind of come top of mind. Uh, the 58 Hawks uh, defeating the Celtics is probably number one. Uh, that, that team had a 0.82 uh, SRS, that Hawks team. The Celtics had 5.02, so that's a difference of 4.2 uh, in terms of that. The uh, 95 Rockets, they were at 2.32 uh, SRS, and they defeated the Magic uh, at 6.44, uh, so that's a 4.12 difference there. Of course, the 75 Warriors, as I mentioned, they were uh, 3.67 SRS underdogs uh, to the Bullets. Uh, the 2011 Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks beating the uh, the big three of the Miami Heat, uh, they were 4.41 of the Mavericks to the Heat's 6.76. Uh, so that's a difference of uh, 2.35. And then uh, this year, uh, the Cavaliers, they were a 4.45 SRS. Uh, them defeating the Warriors of 10.3 is also a significant one as well. You look at about five uh, there. So that might even be or a little under five, rather a little um, that, that, you know, right up there with the Hawks and Celtics, uh, Rockets, Magic, Warriors, Bulls. We're talking about elite level, you know, kind of upsets here. So it, it's hard to pick out one or the other. But this this one definitely is up there. It, it's there historically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just kind of the key guys who are on the team other than um, Rick Barry, um, Butch Beard, who was a point guard who had bounced around quite a bit. Uh, Golden State was his fourth team in five seasons. He was a strong defender. He did most of the ball handling on the team. In fact, he scored the Warriors' last seven points in game four, nailing two free throws to uh, seal the game and seal the sweep. Clifford Ray was a, um, a, a physical fourth-year center who had come over and uh, been traded for Nate Thurman, which actually was considered sort of a fin- financially motivated trade for the Warriors and that the Bulls had gotten the better of it. But Ray actually played very well for um, the Warriors, would stay there for the rest of his career, uh, known for Ray as a good defender. He had had major knee surgery two seasons earlier, but he um, – defended well he also was considered a good leader and you know friendly and even maintained a long friendship with rick barry so that's uh, that's an accomplishment right there <laughs> um jamal wilkes was a rookie a small forward on this team he spent his first three seasons before moving on to the lakers and of course be- being famous with the showtime teams um he was 14 and 8 as a rookie benefited from playing alongside barry even though he was often a undersized four he was so he was sort of an odd pick because people felt like you know okay they rick barry why do they need another small forward but it ended up working out pretty well for the team uh derek dickey who was another starter who was a um only really had a short career um was a, a play power forward um for most of his career not, not really much notable about him and then the um the Warriors stood out because they had a very deep team. They, they sort of played uh, like the Phoenix Suns did in 2010, where they sort of had like a you know five stars and five um, 
bench unit that they kind of bring in all together and you know we kind of change the pace of the game but uh, charles johnson who was a third year point guard shooting guard another guy with a fairly short career was good at forcing turnovers also played with the bullets in the 78 or 79 finals so he managed to get in three finals in his uh, in a short career and two championships uh george johnson another johnson he was a third year center actually had a pretty long career as a journeyman i uh, was a good shot blocker for the team it was sort of a a contrast between clifford ray where he was uh he was very very thin and more, more athletic and Ray was, you know, a little bit more physical and bulky, but they complement each other well. They yeah, each had different skills. Um, so, you know, you could throw in as a, one as a substitute for the other and get different things going on. Uh, Charles Dudley was a second-year point guard, another guy with a short career, um, very much an energy player. He was also very into martial arts, and his nickname was uh, Grasshopper, or more commonly, just Hopper. I wonder if he was at the uh, karate tournament. Maybe, Cop-Bells. yeah. <laughs> he had a double he, dip. He <laughs> was like, sad. You couldn't make a karate <laughs> <It's> tournament, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. you guys got this without me. I got a karate tournament with the comp palace, man. I, you know, yeah. I hope we need to find that out. I, I, God, I hope he was, but probably not. And then uh, Jeff Mullins, 11th year shooting guard. His nickname was Pork Chop, and he had played on the 67 finals team with uh, Rick Barry uh, and actually embraced a role coming off the bench after he was injured, uh, sort of that series. There was a, uh, a a column written about it where they sort of compared it to what, you know, what David Lee did with the 2015 Warriors where you know, he was injured and, and came off the bench and Draymond Green once took his spot. It was sort of a similar thing, and they were kind of at similar points in their careers. Uh, and then last was Phil Smith, who was a tall and lanky rookie shooting guard, was a uh, who would be a two-time All-Star later in his career, would, would play most of his career with the um, – play quite a few years with the Warriors and then would you know, kind of bounce around and play with Seattle for a little while. Uh, he had a great mid-range jumper, and then in game one of the uh, finals, uh, the team was down 14 early, and then he scored 20 points in 31 minutes off the bench to help spark them to a win and, of course, you know, set them off on the right foot for the uh, series. They also had coach uh, Al Adels, who was the uh, had been with the team as a player since the early 60s and would be with the organization. I think he still is with the organization so for um, about 60 years. And then Bill Bridges was added to the team late. He had been a three-time All-Star power forward since his final season and then played only a little bit during the season but had a fairly big playoff role. In fact, he was specifically targeted to defend the Bulls, Bob Love, in the playoffs, which actually paid off very well. The, um, yeah, real well. The... Um, uh, after beating the uh, Bill Russell coach Sonics in the Western Conference uh, semifinals, uh, they beat the Bulls in the Western Conference finals in seven games. They came back from a 3-2 deficit. The Bulls were at the end of their great run with uh, with Love, Chet Walker, Jerry Sloan, Norm Van Leer, Tom Burwinkle, and it added Thurmond, of course, as we mentioned, but who only averaged 2.7 points per game for that series. So that was pretty unhappy for him at that point. And then he ended up going to uh, Cleveland the next season, as we mentioned earlier in our Nate Thurmond episode. Um, and Barry actually was benched in game seven of that series with shooting struggles, but his team teammates including Jamal Wilkes helped uh you know pick up the team and take back from a deficit and they end up leading the team Barry came back in and they thrived to win the game 83 to 79 yep. there you go the the double having uh, you know another small forward and Wilkes definitely paid off like you said exactly so. yes so so we um, we did a previous episode on Rick Barry. In fact, it was the first episode we ever did on Rick Barry. So we're going to uh, we're going to give you a, a a little bit of that episode uh, talking about Barry's uh, time in the '70s in the ABA, and then later with the Warriors to kind of go along with what we're talking about here. But uh, if you're interested in just listening to the full episode, not listening to the episodes that we're going to give you, we will have a, a, a show note in the link, so it's pretty easy to find. If you just look at the first episode we ever did, you go, scroll all the way down on iTunes or wherever you use it, you'll find it there. But either way, uh, we encourage you to uh, check it out. So we'll uh, be back after a little break. In the meantime, you should uh, check us out on um, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. You can uh, leave a review for us on uh, iTunes and or Stitcher or wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. And uh, so uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. 
So we interrupt this great podcast that you're listening to. My name is Kevin Rayfuse. I'm Tim Tompkins. And I'm Justin Kuzart. And we host the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. We cover every team in the league and a bunch of really fun segments like random NBA player, Drive and Dougal, and hot takes from Reddit. So when you're done listening to this podcast, give us a search on iTunes or whatever podcast streaming app you're listening on. We're also at driveanddishpodcast.com. We are the Drive and Dish NBA podcast. Hey everyone, hope you guys are enjoying the uh, Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s series and uh, also hope you guys are listening to our fellow HP podcast, Fast Break Breakfast and Nothing But Nylon. So you're about to listen to uh, clips from our very first episode uh, talking about uh, Rick Barry and uh, this will be joined in progress uh, starting with uh, his entry into the ABA and go through his ABA years and then his second stint with the Warriors in which they won a championship 975. Uh, there's a few audio issues here. Um, it was our first episode. We had some technical difficulties, so hopefully it's something that you'll mind, but just uh, FYI. And if you want to check out the full episode, uh, you just got to go to our uh, go down all the way on the list of our episodes. It's our very first episode, and you'll get the whole shebang of Rick Barry career from the beginning through the end so enjoy the show so yes uh the next season he actually does not end up playing he uh negotiates with uh the fledgling oakland oaks of the fledgling aba uh who are owned by pat boone yes the singer pat boone uh and uh, <laughs> oh aba i yes, love you <laughs> and uh he's one of the co-owners um and they end up uh, signing his father-in-law um, as general manager of the team. It's sort of one thing to woo him, although they, 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 at least Bruce Hale tried to sort of keep it like you make your decision based on what you think is best, not this kind of thing. Um, and then they ended up using a lot, you know, of like 15 percent ownership of the team and things like that to try to get him to uh, sign. Um Eventually, he agrees to sign. He feels like the um, the offer that the Gold State owner wanted to get, go for him, it wasn't quite as much. Eventually, he does give him close to the same salary, but it's right at the end. He's like, you know, I've made this commitment. Sorry. You know, so he ends up going to the league. There's a lawsuit that he ends up losing. Basically, it me- the reserve clause is enforced. That means that, you mm-hmm. know, he, he is – he had a two-year contract with the team, and then the reserve clause means that he either has to play for the team or, or play for nobody, and he, he chooses to play for no one. Although he, apparently he came very close to signing – to actually playing with the Warriors that year for a while. He, he, he had had some talks with the ownership, and they almost got him to play, and then he decided that he just – didn't want to and this was definitely something that gave him a reputation as selfish and money hungry i mean this is the really the beginning of players taking a much stronger um ownership of themselves this and of course the more famous lawsuit in baseball by kurt flood is going to lead to you know players eventually having the right to free agency and salaries escalating a whole lot and is going to definitely change the relationship between fans and players now that players are just going to be making so much money and athletes are, athletes are going to be so specialized that it takes them, you know, kind of away from like, you know, you know, the, 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 the average fan. Yeah. The, 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 you always hear that thing of, you know, you go to the train station and there was the athlete cause he was just one of the guys or whatever. He was just really good at, you know, export or whatever. And yeah, th- this was the beginning of, of them sort of becoming uh, otherworldly celebrities exactly. and, and not with the people. Yeah, so, yeah. And uh, Barry thought, you know, he 
realized like a lot of the things that the, the a lot of the ABA's promises didn't come true. He thought that other NBA prop players would jump to the ABA with him. He says he was naive, felt he didn't do research, um, didn't have a lawyer with him during a lot of it. So, um, but on the other end, he was happy that he felt that he opened the door for other players to get more money. He, he does argue in in the book um, his he did argue in his book that. Um, he had a lot of, uh, you know, that he absolutely felt that it was right for players to be able to j- jump to other teams, just like owners are able to, you know, move teams to other cities. And he felt, you know, he absolutely, it's a, it's a very passionate and quite eloquent actually argument in favor of, of that. So um, you know, he, he didn't feel bad about, he felt that he had the right to make the decision, but what ended up happening to him in the ABA was definitely a disappointment. And if he, you know, he, a lot there were a lot of regrets about leaving the Warriors particularly the fact that they were a young and up and coming team who could have definitely mm-hmm. had a lot of success yeah absolutely and and we, we're not doing this justice um, the, the as I mentioned Terry Pluto's great book uh, Loose Balls does a really good um, you know, just great discussion about this particular topic and, and Barry going over and, and just sort of what the ABA's main goal was and, and one of the big things was you know Barry felt slighted but but the ABA, that, he, that's exactly what they wanted, was a guy like Rick Barry of, of, hey, we took one of your top guys, a nice young star, whatever. This was really what the ABA wanted. And really, the ABA's goal was to, at some point, get a merger with the NBA so these, like, ragamuffin uh, owners could actually get buy NBA teams because they weren't allowed to before. So it's very interesting. I mean, the ABA is just the most fascinating thing oh. in the world. Like, I, I could read it and, and talk about the ABA all day. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... And, you know, even, in, I mean... The NBA is about to allow a lot more owners into its club, and a lot of them, you know, I mean, the owners that they have at the time are problematic, much less adding, you know, uh, uh, they're going to be adding 15 in the next uh, uh, 15 or so years. You know, just imagine that, of that, that level of expansion. So, you know, it, it is looking at both leagues, but particularly in the ABA of just like how much of a disorganized mess a lot of it was, was just <laughs> is, is pretty amazing in modern um, retrospect. And you're right, Loose Balls absolutely captures that just so well um and um so he's he's able to play in the 68 69 season with the oakland oaks um they're a, a very successful team they win the aba championship they finish 16 in 18 um alex hannum actually is their coach the year before um bruce hale didn't go very well they didn't have much talent and they decide to um uh, he's like, oh, let's bring in Alex Hannum to uh, take over as coach. Well, Alex Hannum also kind of uh, negotiates to take over as GM as well. So Bruce Hale is sort of marginalized. Um, that kind of leads to some tension, uh, particularly with uh, Barry and Hannum, especially after um, Rick Barry gets hurt about 35 games into the season. He gets hurt actually in December and then tries to come back for a little bit, but suffers a ligament injury in his, uh, in his knee. There's some feuding over... Hannum feeling like he wasn't promoting the team enough, uh, and that kind of led a coach he really liked and got along with led to some division between them. Um, he was able to uh, dress for the uh, ABA championship game uh, and wear his uniform for that, uh, the game in which they won the ABA championship. But uh, he said he did it just because he wanted to protect his suede suit because they were they would the tradition of throwing the guys into the showers. So I found that amusing. Uh, <laughs> Rick Barry was quite a fashion plate, actually. Uh, there's a uh, there's a funny um, 
It's a, uh, a funny, like, kind of blog, San Francisco blog post on the fashion of Rick Barry that shows, like, a lot of, like, his different um, fashions that he had um, over the uh, oh, different years of his career. And apparently he used to... All the way till today. Yeah, yeah still. He, he was and he was really into um, dressing in fancy clothes, even like to buy fancy clothes for his wife. So they win the championship, but there's definitely they're not happy. Be, or Rick isn't happy when the team decides to that they're they're not the owners are decide they're not doing well. Pat Boone's out and they decide to uh, sell uh, to owners that want to take them to Washington to become the Washington Caps. And uh, Barry didn't like the move. He um, decided he, he, he wanted to try to uh, join the uh, Warriors. But uh, that didn't actually that unfortunately for him didn't end up happening. Um, he, uh, he eventually was forced to uh, move the team. He uh, they they did end up playing at least a little bit. Uh, you know they they were an okay team. They finished forty four and forty. Uh, they lost the Western Division semifinals against the Denver Rockets. He he had another operation after playing a few games with the Caps. He ended up removing all of his cartilage in his left knee. Uh, and the fact that it lasted another ten seasons with no cartilage in his la- in his left knee is pretty impressive. We'll give him that. That's yeah. That's uh, that's not yeah. bad. Um, a lot of guys can, and, and we see modern operations now where they, they use you know similar stuff to that, and guys will get you know a few years, but it's just constant pain. But yeah, he. Um, I mean, that, that's yeah. when it, without knowing that you wouldn't know. I, I really don't think you would have known that or, or watching his game. Yeah. But I mean, his game did evolve a little bit at this point, but still, it, it's still remarkable. Right. Yeah. He and he says during the time that he was just kind of really upset with the situation, he had to force himself to kind of go all out for the first time, where before that had been instinctual, and he also said that he became. Uh, or it sort of described as he was more became a little more of a perimeter player um rather than a slasher after knee injury distributing more and i think that there also was part because he had to change his game because he had to be more of a do-it-all player in the aba because the aba just wasn't quite as strong of a uh as strong of a league um Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're talking about the uh, middle of uh, of Rick Barry's career. He uh, things do not work out so well for the Washington Caps. They decide they want to uh, move to Virginia and become the Virginia Squires and play in four different cities in uh, Virginia. <laughs> uh, Barry uh, not so excited about this. Uh, he, if Washington D.C. did not appeal to him, then rural towns in in Virginia not so much. So, or relatively rural towns. Uh, I don't want to insult any Virginians here. Although uh, Rick Barry did not have any problem insulting in Virginians because he uh, talks, uh, there's a uh, SI article in which he um, says he did, did not want his kids growing up with a southern accent uh, and basically just says <laughs> terrible things about Virginia. In his book, he says that this is basically intentional to create pressure to get him to be um, traded, which is um, definitely a Rick Barry uh, thing to do. So uh, I guess it was effective. So. Um, <laughs> It's just uh, it, it, it's very funny that that was the kind of like thing that like would lead to, you know, a lead to a trade. But I guess, you know, I guess it makes sense. But uh, I, I love how there's this also this quote. They focus on like his San Francisco lifestyle and they talk about like how he has like a $18,000 Ferrari and a spectacular house on on a hill overlooking a valley east of Oakland. It, it basically like it, it's just 
painting him as like just this like huge uh, rich elitist who has like no interest in in, like living in like Virginia or among commoners or anything anymore. Um, He does say there that he does want to stay in the ABA and wouldn't return to the NBA for a million dollars a year, which um, so he does get uh, traded to the Nets for a draft pick and uh, $20,000. He again misses time for a knee injury. He um, played only 59 games. Uh, the Nets finished uh, 40 and 44, um, but they did make the playoffs. They lost in a playoff series, perhaps, uh, funnily enough, to the Squires, uh, four games to two. Uh, <laughs> he did get along with a co- I would love to see the, the, the newspaper articles in oh, Virginia yeah. at that time. We couldn't find any, but yeah, that yeah. would be... Uh, Sure, they had some yeah, choice. There, there's a few quotes. There, there, there's a few quotes at the end of his book that have some newspaper accounts, and I think there's a couple things from Virginia papers uh, mentioned in there. Um, he he did like his coach uh, uh, Lou Carnesecca, uh, who was for fam- most famously as the uh, St. John's coach. Um, but he was uh, – this was his first foray into pro hoops. He said he was disciplined, but he was easy to talk to. Um, and he, he liked – Rick liked the fact that the ABA talent had improved. He called the Nets a good um, organization. And it's also around this time in which there's an AP story comes out where his wife calls him my husband, the hypochondriac. Because th- there's – you know, one re- thing about Rick is that he uh, – in addition to many reputations, he also had a reputation for going after the refs all the time, yelling and screaming and so forth. And he said he did that because if he, when he stayed quiet for a while, they wouldn't give him the calls. So he did that just because he gave him the calls. And he also, he says something that I think is sort of Im- implies that he is willing to flop or willing to um, overact his injuries. But his wife more charitably labels him, I guess, as him thinking that he's always more hurt than he ends up being. So I, I found that funny given the modern debate over flopping and things like that that this was something of course that was you know going on even then yeah or are they people oh this these new nba players all they do is complain to the refs you know after every call or whatever and then you watch you know you and one thing we're watching videos of rick barry and you see the other teams i mean everybody's just doing it constantly i know uh the famous one is we'll talk about it a little bit when he um when the warriors win the championship you see the 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 other team just complaining and you see it just just watching this game it's just like every play it's just complaining to the refs and arguing at him and you got announcers saying that refs are the worst or whatever but so when people sort of say oh jeff van gundy stop complaining about the refs or lebron just go and play it's it's yeah. that's been the oh, yeah, forever absolutely. so and it's part of like i mean it, yeah it does get annoying to watch sometimes but you know yes it has been part of the uh nba forever so um uh, things go a bit better in his second season in uh, with the Nets. He's finally healthy. Uh, he plays 80 games. The Nets finish 44 and 40. Uh, so the record isn't necessarily all that much better. But uh, they do end up beating a 68-win uh, Kentucky Colonels uh, four games to two in the playoffs. And then they beat the Squires four games to three. The Squires, that's their first year with uh, Julius Irving. Um, so that's a that, that's an exciting uh, uh, time for them. Deep playoff run. They end up losing to the Pacers in the ABA Finals, but they uh, you know they certainly go farther than a team that you know with their record would be expected to go. Rick Berry and Larry Brown were roommates in um, in Washington. He was one of the uh, few players th- that. Uh, Rick kind of ended up, you know, being close friends with at least for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um oh he was carolina cougars and then denver nuggets yeah okay he did okay. do some coaching you're right you're, you're just do some coaching but he ended up just coaching like when he actually got in the league he coached like primarily aba teams forever too which is is a funny thing as well oh, yeah, he went to you know new nets jersey he Spurs. went to the nets after yeah, denver the Clippers in indiana 92 yeah. season yeah and, he, and the pacers too yeah yeah that's interesting i didn't realize that 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 was i hadn't noticed that before that basically yeah most of his early career is all pacers or all aba uh teams so um so they have a good run there. Uh, however, there, the with all the lawsuits, of things that are in court, um, a U.S. District Court uh, issues a preliminary injunction that prohibits Barry from playing from any other team other than the Warriors after his contract with the Nets ended. Basically, it would have meant that he would have had to um, sit out another season if he wanted to continue playing for the Nets. So at that point, he decided that he would just instead um, go to go back to the Warriors, which, you know, he had wanted to do at different points, although he did. He did finally seem happy in New York. He did uh, go, you know, Golden State was a place that he wanted to go to um, as well. So, you know, that ended up working out as we are going to see, ended up working pretty out pretty well for him. So, yeah. <laughs> so he adjusts his game, becomes a, you know, a better shooter, better passer and, and primary ball hander, a kind of one of the, I don't, I, a lot of people, there's always a, who, the, who gets the credit for being the first point forward, but he certainly is among those who definitely played that um, position. One thing that's noticeable is that his free throw drawing weight does go way down kind of around this point of his career. Uh, Again, he's older at this point, late, late twenties, getting into his thirties. He's had the injuries and, you know, adjusting his style of game. So that's understandable, but that does sort of reduce his effectiveness overall as a score, although he still is, you know, quite a tremendous player yeah absolutely yeah. and and the the assist percentage as i mentioned that rised a ton you went from uh um uh to 20 point uh 24.7 uh, was his assist percentage that, that yeah. first year back um in the nba and the previous high was 18.5 and then he never went below 20 percent again so he definitely became a uh a more facilitator and yeah it's it's the, the point forward thing is very interesting but yeah he um he's one that definitely should get a lot of the credit for it i mean it, it's 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 at that time. I mean, he is really unique in that that sense of of being that height, being that sort of everything, and and being you know a distributor, becoming more of a distributor than a slasher. So interesting though. It's 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 fun to watch this kind of evolution of his game. Definitely, and he um, interesting for the rest of his career. Um, he never plays less than seventy nine games, except for his final season, which he plays seventy two. So injuries are not really a major issue for him for the um, for the rest of his career. Um, so some of the key players that he ended up playing with on that um, that, that first Warriors team, uh, Nate Thurman's still there. He's in his ninth season. Uh, Jeff Mullins at shooting guard. Uh, Cassie Russell, who had played for, I believe, the Lakers and the Knicks, um, who was, you know, kind of an important reserve player. You mentioned George Johnson, uh, who uh, he taught to shoot underhanded uh, free throws. Um, so those were kind of the, uh, the key guys uh, – that he was going with, so, but, so they had uh, so they had Thurmond and um, and uh, Barry again together. Even though Thurmond at this point was he was still an effective player, but he was getting older, um, obviously, and um, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't last. With, he ended up 
really wouldn't last with the uh, team uh, too much longer. Um, they end up having a, a pretty strong season. They win uh, 47 games. Um and they actually uh, beat the Milwaukee Bucks, who had 60 wins that year, who, with Kareem in the uh, in the playoffs. But they fall in the uh, conference finals to the uh, to the Lakers. Uh, uh, so he loses to uh, rivals Bill Sharman and uh, Wilt Chamberlain. So in 73-74, they miss the playoffs. Um, they do end up uh, drafting Gus Williams to play point guard. Uh, there's a piece written about how um, uh, that year, uh, talking just kind of about the Barry and um, the return of the Barry and Thurmond uh, partnership and, you know, how they're, um, you, you know, playing so well uh, together. He also set his career high uh, this season, 64 points uh, at home versus the Blazers. Um, and then the uh, the next season, the Warriors uh, end up being uh, retooled. They uh, they hire a general manager. They're... Um, their owner like franklin <laughs> muley he's basically like there there's the whole like all these sports illustrated articles and even in this book there's just like he always feels like rick barry is like the guy like the one who got away and spends like a whole lot of time and energy getting him back and and so forth and he's kind of like a a sort of a um a fixture of both like ridicule and like awe of just like how he's able to succeed. And he always like makes these savvy things, even though he seems a little bit um, (laughs) dumb for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, Um, you know, but uh, he ends up actually um, uh, hiring a, a a general manager who kind of reshapes the team a little bit, ends up uh, trading uh, Thurmond and some other players, uh, Dick Vertlieb, in fact, was the new GM. Um, and then they end up signing uh, Jamal Wilkes, who uh, ends up being having a huge impact as a rookie. Also, Phil Smith, who becomes an important player. Clifford Ray comes over in that, in that trade for Thurman. So they're kind of retooling the team. It's a much younger team. Um, really, uh, Barry and Clifford Ray are the only, uh, or I guess, I'm sorry, Barry and Jeff Mullins, and to a little bit of an extent, Clifford Ray are the only, you know, real veterans on the team. Um, and they definitely, uh, they, they play more of a, of a fast paced, uh, style. They go, they go 10 deep. Um, Barry kind of reshaping his reputation a little bit where he, practices a little bit harder he's the captain he tries to keep his temper a little bit in check um there's an essay article that talks about they're not troubled by racial disharmony which might have been expected in a club whose blacks outnumber whites 10 to 2 i'm not really sure why that would be expected but you know that that is what was thought at the time perhaps <laughs> different, in the it was SI, a different era uh, yes area i uh, said so it hasn't had any problems those that exist back when i was in college don't exist as much for the younger players today um and they also mentioned uh, personal problems that caused brief separations from his wife, Pam, and they had recently adopted uh, Shannon, to, uh, who became their fifth child as well. Um, and he had a really strong season that year, averaged 30.6 per game, shot 46.4%, led the league in free throw percentage and steals per game, and they, he, they had an even better postseason. Um, they they uh, finished... Um, Excuse me. They were 40 and 14, which was strong, but they end up 
um, beating the Supersonics and then having like a really classic series against the Bulls that went seven games and had a lot of, um, you know, cl- had a lot of close games. A lot, a lot of the games, um, all but two ended up being five points or closer, I think. So, and that, of course, uh, Thurman was um, on the uh, was on the Bulls uh, for that series. So that's sort of interesting um, that you know he ends up. Uh, being against his old warrior teammates and they end up going through and then they end up um sweeping the bullets that year in that series um and the bullets were 60 and 22 you know heavily favored in that series you know seemingly a better team but um but but barry led them through and barry was clearly like the guy like carrying that yeah. team i mean he really you know he played by far the most minutes by far the most points i mean he really that was clearly the best season of uh, you know as a pro and he only finished third in mvp voting okay we're back uh talking about the uh, late career of uh rick barry and we are in the 75 76 season uh rick barry has just uh, won his first and only nba championship uh but you know the warriors are still an exciting team they actually have a better regular season record of uh 59 and 23 they've they are first of the then 18 teams in the uh in the nba um this is actually the last season before the uh, before the merger of the ABA and the NBA, and um, they uh, there's a, a really good another good SI article uh, talking about just how the the Warriors play their uh, they have a they they play a bigger rotation than most teams play. Um, talks about their coach Al Adels who was of course he played with Rick Barry during the during the 60s and was a famous really you know tough guy that nobody messed with type player and uh he says that you know <laughs> who got in a fight in the previous year in the NBA finals like the last game yes did, did you watch that video um I, of, of when the Warriors win I, the, yes, the championship yeah. in that game um I forgot who it was it gave a real hard foul to Rick Barry so he just ran out to the court and started shoving the guy and like throwing punches yes. and got thrown out of the the, the championship <laughs> game but that's okay because you know and then he said that was a rallying cry for the team or that helped, exactly you know? exactly of course if they lost it would have been a distraction sure, right. because they won it's a rallying yeah, crap so. been all over Skip Bayless would have been you know on top of that guy today <laughs> So, but he talks about like, oh, you, you know, there's everyone has a stereotypes and, and, you know, and people, sooner everyone just accepts them instead of wondering why things work. And he, you know, so he decides to try to do things that he has. He, he, you know, you sometimes uses four guards randomly at once, sometimes two centers on the car, on, on the court. You know, he just does, you know, he just tries to do things differently a little bit. Um, and it, it took him a while to kind of realize that Nate Thurman didn't fit in. So they, um, you know, made things work. They kind of talk about the racial component of the team but also you know one things that you know Barry Rick Barry and Jeff Mullins are the only two players who are over than older than 27 Every, everyone are the kids um talks about sort of the the quiet underneath understated nature of Jamal Wilkes um in, he's like a, a character in a novel whose true importance is not revealed until it is time for the message to be delivered or the princess rescued. <laughs> uh, sports writers back then, they just had a way, you know. There, yeah, it's a, man, reading this stuff in the 60s and 70s, yeah. man, it's a different different era. And talking about how, you know, what a, what a great defensive player uh, he was, uh, you know, shutting down Spencer Haywood and Bob Love and Elvin Hayes and uh, in the championship year. And But there is an interesting 
ending tone at the end where Golden State wins now because everyone is fresh, ambitious, willing. Everyone except Barry is unknown, but they are known together and Barry aside all make the same kind of money. Will it work when Wilkes and Smith and Williams arrive at greatness? Will there just be much to go around then? And, and then it sort of leads because this Warriors team ends up disappointing a bit in the postseason. They um, – they beat the Pistons, who were still in the who were in the West at that point, um, and they end up um, they beat the Pistons, but they end up losing to the uh, Phoenix Suns that year, who um, end up playing in a classic final series against the Celtics. Um, they're led by uh, uh, Paul Westfall and Alvin Adams, and uh, it goes seven games. It's a another series with. Um, you know, five games that are decided by seven game, seven points or fewer. Uh, in fact, the Warriors are up. Um, they're up um, three games to two, and then they lose by one to Phoenix in game six, and they end up falling at home in game seven. So, um, you know, a, a tough despite their you know regular season dominance they fall in the playoffs which just happens kind of randomly a lot in the 70s for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the next year, they 76, 77, they win 49 games, but they end up falling to the uh, Lakers in uh, seven games um, in the conference seven piles again. So they uh, they have a lot of seven game series that they uh, they play. Yeah. You know, so and this era is it's a very weird. And, and that's one of the things that's that's always interesting about this time, too, is when you sort of go back in NBA history and you talk about, you know, the champions and the dominant teams and all that sort of stuff. This area, this era is just weird because you have just like these teams that you assume should be dominant teams and they just like get upset randomly in the play. I mean, like you don't get, you very rarely get that anymore where a team that sort of is the top team in the league or is one of the top few teams just gets upset by like random. And, and it seems to happen a lot here and you get, this era is just filled with just weird random champions. I mean, this is what you got, obviously the Rick Barry thing. There's a lot of like kind of one title win yeah. things on the Sonics, yeah, uh, the, the Sonics this era later in this era, the Portland the, Trailblazers. The yeah. It's yeah. just a, it's just a weird era of just like, you, you just, I don't know. It's hard to explain either. And I think that's one of the another reasons why a lot of people sort of don't remember this one, because there's not really a there's not a team that defines it. Yeah. There's just numerous teams, numerous players, numerous, you know, that, that do it. So it's it's very interesting, though, when you go through and watch these these just weird upsets. So the, the, the 76, 77 um, Warriors are kind of reconstituted. They have a rookie, uh, Robert Parrish, who ends up playing for uh, the Warriors for a few years. It's kind of a forgotten point in his career. Um, as well, so they're 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 changed a little bit. They end up, um, and then it, after they fall to the uh, Lakers in that uh, series, they get reshuffled a little bit again. Uh, Gus Williams ends up getting traded to the uh, Sonics, and then he'd lead the Sonics to the '78 Finals and the '79 title. So that probably wasn't the uh, best decision that they. Uh, ever made um and there may have been some tension with barry on kind of ball handling duties or um or so on although that that point i definitely would have picked um williams over rick barry but you know i guess rick barry was better certainly better known so um and then the 77 78 season which is barry's last in at golden state they're 43 and 39 um 
they still have Clifford Ray and Phil Smith. Uh, they end up getting uh, Ricky Green, who is later a he's a bit of a bit player on this team, but he ends up being like a really important um, guard for the Jazz in the yeah. '80s. And in fact, he and John Stockton were you know co-point guards. I mean, he was ahead of um, John Stockton really for the first three or four years of Stockton's career before you know he got older and uh, and they saw what they had in Stockton. But so. Um, uh, basically, the, the big highlight probably for um, for Barry was he had his last 50-point game in 78. He scored 55 points at home against the Knicks. Again, doing well against the Knicks uh, on March 28th, 78. So um, they um, they didn't even end up actually making the postseason in his uh, final year. So, uh, so, you know, a little bit of a disappointment. Not, not really sure exactly what happened there because they, you know, I mean – it, I guess they lost at that point. They lost Jamal Wilkes too. So um, yeah, and he was a big part. Yeah, he, he was, was an important player for them too. And I think he left as a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, you know, he ended up at, he ended up at the Lakers, of course, and ended up being a pretty important part of the um, you know of, of the early uh, Lakers uh, championship teams. So um, so yeah, they they you know had some really they had some really good players. Uh, it just kind of seemed to uh, fall apart from them. next time on basketball mysteries of the 1970s i think to people it's still amazing to see that you know phil still talks with uh clyde still talks with Willis reese still talks with bill bradley they all still have great a great relationship and so i think the idea of like people getting along and working together for one common goal always sort of resonates with with people especially when you win a championship This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.